You're listening to Pacific Post-Ups, an NBA podcast covering the Pacific Division, with your hosts, Lewis Dade and Nick Boylan. Let's get into it. To another edition of the Pacific Post-Ups. Nick Boylan, you haven't been named to an all-star team, mate. You feeling all right? It's a tough day. Uh me and the family were sitting around the couch uh, just waiting for Ernie and the crew to, to read out my name. Um, not really sure, you know, how they couldn't select um, to, myself to, to get another really good-looking jump shot in there uh, in that backcourt alongside Steph Curry, um, though I'm pretty okay, I guess, with uh, some of the guys that they went with there, um, particularly in the Western Conference. But, uh, no, I'll... I'll uh, I'll I'll I'll, re, I'll rebuild, I'll recover, and I'll just have to put in the work uh, for next season. Uh, in the dark, as uh, one of our uh, new All Stars is so eloquently put, and uh, I think I think that's going to catch on a little bit about getting work done in the dark and all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, no All Star squads have been dropped, um, as you said, Lou. Um, it's always a, a bit of a, a point of conjecture um, when you're seeing these go through, particularly with how they're, you know, they're coming up with these selections but with the starters, how much of a, an influence the fan vote does have, um, obviously, um, with who we see in these starting lineups. Um, there's probably the, a couple of selections, but maybe people are, you know, unhappy about. But, you know, the, the good thing about that is, is um, you know, the, the, these contentious picks give us something to talk about and unpack on Pacific post-ups. Yeah, absolutely. And look, let me preface this by saying I think, in the end, fans can sometimes overreact a little bit uh, negatively to all-star starters, considering that once the year passes, we tend to just acknowledge who was an all-star and who wasn't yeah. um, when you're talking career legacy. But career legacy, there's probably no better way to start with the fact that we have a, a brand new all-star in the Pacific Division. Um, it's uh, it's not Steph Curry or LeBron James who have been all-stars many times before and well-deserving all-stars starters this year in the West. It's a, it's the man that was considered a salary figure not that many years ago now, and that's Andrew Wiggins. Nick, do you want to start, I guess, from a Warriors perspective on what the selection means to both the team and uh, Wiggins himself? Yeah, um, it, it's pretty massive. I mean, like, uh, it was something that you could tell uh, was an important thing, not only for Andrew, but for the whole team and the whole franchise. Um, you know, Steve Kerr said that, um, Wiggins' all-star starter selection is one of the proudest moments I've ever had as a coach. The journey he's travelled, it's been rocky at times to see how hard he's worked and to see all that uh, hard work rewarded, you just could not be ha- any happier for him. Um, you know, this is a guy who's seen some pretty amazing things on a basketball court and, you know, brought, brought championship, helped bring championships to the Bay. And um, for for this accolade for, for Wiggins to be um, up there, um, shows you how how important it is um, to the franchise. Yeah, as you said, Lou. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, that they, they've that sort of, you know, they got D'Angelo Russell out of uh, you know the Kevin Durant departure and then turned D'Lo into some draft picks and Andrew Wiggins, and it was a really big thing at the time, as you said. You know, it, it, it's money that the Golden, the Golden State will move on to to get another player. You know, and they'll see how it goes, but ultimately that's the way they'll go. Um, but, you know, there was 
plenty, you know, and, and enough media support and, you know, obviously the, the Warriors front office as well to think that, no, Andrew Wiggins could be, you know, a bit of a missing piece for Golden State, you know, uh, a, a bit more than, say, D'Angelo Russell would have been uh, in the place of Kevin Durant and getting a, a, a talented wing, um, you know, a former number one draft pick and rookie of the year, um, but someone who had certainly had his stock lowered, um, the the conversation around him being, uh, being quite negative, um, you know, and not in the best situation for a, for a Minnesota Timberwolves side. So to see, uh, you know, Wiggins get to a situation where, you know, it's allowed, um, you know, allowed him to flourish. It's simplified his role to focus on the things that he's really good at rather than the things that he's not, um, I think is, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's an amazing story, I think. Um, you know, of career redemption, which Golden State have shown that they've been able to really help a lot of guys um, um, in that department. But, you know, this is potentially the the best um, of the lot. Yeah, absolutely. And look, you know, obviously credit goes to to Andrew himself for the work and, and what seems like a, a change in attitude from the player he was in, in Minnesota. But yeah, perhaps more than anything, the credit goes to the organisation. I mean, obviously, the players he plays alongside, there's no doubt that playing alongside guys like Steph and Dre and now, Clay, although not uh, hasn't been playing alongside Clay for long, certainly goes a long way to make him the player he is. It really simplified his role. Um, it's another example of how how much uh, defense can be attitude and mindset in the NBA. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, there are people that are going to be physically challenged as defenders, and that's one thing. But there's all these guys that should, in theory, be good defenders that aren't in the NBA, and whether it's because they take a big offensive load or or whether they're just a little bit lazy. But I mean, Wiggins was a much maligned defender towards the end of his time in a in the Minnesota and now, I mean, this, this all-star selection is probably just as much to his defense as it is to his offense. So credit to Golden State, credit to Andrew Wiggins. Um, and it's you know, going to be an exciting moment for him and the fan base and uh, all around. And uh, there's a potential for now that he's set the precedent here that they could be having four guys making a strong all-star case next year. So, yeah. Um, we'll kick off with the Warriors as well on that note. Um, they've just beaten the Minnesota Timberwolves today. Um, before we touch on the game, there was also, you know, some heartfelt words from Andrew's former teammate, Carl Anthony Towns, yeah. talking about how he voted for, for Andrew as an all-star starter. And obviously that shows the character of the, the relationship they had as well. Uh, this was also putting a bit of a ghost away from a, a previous game against Minnesota where Cat just absolutely demolished the, the Warriors. Is this, a, is this a sign of a team that's starting to find its defensive or offensive identity without Draymond? Or what do you make of today's game? Yeah, I think that it's, it's it's a team that's starting to find and reclaim a little bit of its uh, a bit of its identity, um, but also I think a lot of its energy as well. That's something that I noticed a lot. I think in the when things started to slump a lot, that it's not only just missed shots, but you know some blown defensive coverages, and it was a team that wasn't really having. Um, a lot of spark on the court, I think. Um, there's a, I think there's a couple of reasons why some of that sparks started to come back. And I think that, you know, uh, Clay finding his feet a little bit more has been, um, you know, great. Uh, it's Steph started to reclaim a little bit of his jump shot. And uh, t- today was the first time that he's made um, more than 50% of, uh, you know, his um, shots from deep since the 23rd of December. Um, so quite a while. Um, and he finished, um, Steph finished with 29 points. He had 23 for Clay, uh, 19 for, for Wiggins. And also Jordan Poole had 19 points as well. I think they're starting to 
get some understanding of some of the rotations about who needs to play with who and just working out what was going to happen. I think a lot of people thought that, you know, it would be simple as plugging Clay Thompson back onto the court and everything's going to be fine. But you're asking two players, um, particularly in Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole, to really change their roles and what it had been um, the, the early part of the season. I think particularly Poole as well, who, who'd really grown to a starting shooting guard role, started to sort of work things out a little bit there, and then has had to go back to almost relearn how to be a six-man um, to a degree. And for his shot profile to change a little bit more, take, taking the ball inside rather than settling for outside jump shots. Um, all that sort of stuff has been, I think, a massive um, reason why the dubs are starting to, to click. Um, and you're seeing that um, offensive synergy start to come back and it really crystallized against Minnesota. Um, but defensively, I think they've been mostly pretty okay. That's kept them in a lot of games as well over the last few weeks. Um, and people want to talk, if you want to contest Andrew Wiggins' all-star selection, I think you need to look at today's game. And you might not think too much of the 19 points, but I think he did a fantastic job uh, um, defensively, particularly on Anthony Edwards. Yeah, and look, to be fair, this was, a, obviously we're talking up the Warriors here, but I actually thought this was a really high-level game. Yeah, um, I, I don't think Minnesota played poorly at all. I, I just, I mean, obviously it was more of an offensive game, but I think this was just a really good competitive game of basketball between two teams that are completely different with the way they like to play their offense. Obviously, um, Minnesota being so heavily based around their their center and what he can do, and Golden State obviously being a, a movement and a motion offense, uh, you know, predominantly based around their smaller uh, shooting point guard. So. Um, Look, there was, a, there was a lot to unpack. I guess it's probably worth touching on, at least from my perspective. If this is a if this is the matchup, I guess, that um, Golden State get potentially in the playoffs, whether it's mm. against um, Minnesota, whether it's against Denver or one of these teams that's going to be dominated by a big... Are you, are you comfortable that the recipe they use today is a recipe for success in the postseason? I'm not comfortable with Jonathan Kaminga defending Carl Anthony Towns, as that happened quite a little bit today. Um, if Kevon Looney got in foul trouble, um, that's not superb at all. Um, the elites, as as much as I talked him up uh, with, you know, the first episode of the season about how he could be a six-man candidate and be a real sort of difference maker um, for the Warriors, that's waned a lot. And I think that defensively he gets exposed quite a lot, you know, um, I don't think anyone sort of came in thinking that Nemanja Bielitz was going to be a difference maker on the defensive side of the court coming off the bench for Golden State. But um, it is showing that the cupboard is very bare beyond Kavon Looney, who I'll talk about a little bit later. But um, it does boggle the mind that reports have come out that they're not interested in trading for for a big at the the deadline. Is that meaning that they're trying to, you know, get get some attention away from a move they're wanting to make or is it simply the fact that they don't want to do anything there maybe they're more looking at the buyout market where maybe there is some bigs available that can get there it just doesn't make any sense that they're comfortable um without another big on the roster particularly given james wiseman's um lack of conditioning this season and how much time he is now spending on the sidelines um you know that's another big piece to get involved in things um you know, towards the back end of the season. So it does stress me out a little bit, sort of looking at the big rotation at the moment. Yeah, and look, I also wonder sometimes whether these are, this is kind of posturing to a certain extent. Perhaps teams have been looking to lurch on Golden State with packages for a big man that aren't 
pleasing to them. So they're trying mm. to put a bit of a message out there so that people stop trying to undercut them with poor deals for what other teams would perceive to be a, a need. No doubt, you know, smart GMs around the league would survey needs for other teams and maybe get on the front foot with a deal um, that they think might be helpful for them. Before we kind of go back to the, the fundamentals of where Golden State are at, um, obviously they've had a pretty good little stretch here um, after you know quite a difficult period for them, um, winning three on the trot. They absolutely annihilated uh, the Mavericks um, and they beat the Rockets in a game that was uncomfortable um, for Golden yep. State fans. I That's the best way I'd describe that, yep. But sometimes you've just got to win these games and I guess when you do have Draymond out, you do have to take that into a consideration there was also the game against indiana is there any of those you want to circle in on um i'd like to forget that game against the inner paces because it's potentially the worst golden state game i've seen in about five years um you're not the only pacific division team that has thoughts about games against the indiana paces yes very very true um that was that was a shocker given you know the players that indiana have had out you know you might you could you can cop losing a close game to Demonis Sabonis, Malcolm Brogdon, and and Miles Turner, but um, losing a game to former Southeast uh, Melbourne Phoenix legend Keeper Sykes um, is not a pill I'd be willing to swallow, uh, particularly given they had you know should have won that game. You're up three, you foul, and they they left um, Justin Holiday open just to drain that three. Just ridiculous. Um, that's a hard one. I mean. Against the Rockets, Steph finally gets a, a buzzer beater for the win, first in his career, which is pretty wild. Um, but you know, amazing thing hap- amazing things happen, Lou, when uh, when y- your head coach actually just gives the ball to the star player and doesn't try to do too much, actually just lets him go. Um, cool things happen, like you know, actually some baskets, which is fun. Um, but um, some that's probably been sometimes a little bit of the aggravating things about some some of the things that Steve Kerr's been doing, like. Um, but it, it, it is a bit of a tricky one um, with how they're going. Um, probably the one thing that's been the the big, I think, glaring point sort of for the dubs outside of, um, you know, getting the offense back going and the defense has been carrying a lot of games is the fact that they really need to start finding minutes for Jonathan Kaminga. Um, he's... Every time he's on the court, sometimes he, he can get himself in foul trouble and can get outmatched a little bit. But, geez, the things that he's offering on the other end are just ridiculous. Um, you know, had 22 points in 18 minutes against the Mavs, including um, an absolute poster on our man Josh Green um, doing the Aussie dirty on that one. But just the things that he's able to do, um, he makes – he does a pretty good job defensively, I think, in staying in front of guys just because of how – advanced his body is probably for his age um, and a lot of his rookie class. But also the fact that he's making really good reads um, off the dribble um, in, in making the right pass and the three-point shot's looking pretty good. Um, you know, he's not taking, doesn't need to take any off the dribble. His set shot, um, just on catch and shoot, looks nice and looks a lot better than it did at the start of the season. So, I don't know. The, the, if he's getting less if he's getting less minutes than, uh, than Damian Lee, then I'm, I'm not a happy man. Something that I actually saw in tonight's game that I really liked um, was that obviously the, the Timberwolves play the really aggressive pick-and-roll defense where Cat um, will often come up and, and try to kind of swarm the ball handler. And there was a there was a pick-and-roll that they were able to run where Curry was able to negate that by dropping it kind of on the short roll to Kaminga. Um, yeah. But because he's just so damn athletic, he could just take one dribble and just go up with it. 
Um, you know, obviously some slower footed bigs are not prone to do that. And for, you know, as much as we really do like um, Looney on this podcast, he's probably not at this point of his career, that kind of athlete. No. Um, but considering both the Timberwolves and the Nuggets play a similar style of defense there with kind of throwing the big man out at the point guard um, and trying to do a kind of swarm and recover. If Kaminga being more of a large wing than just a, an out and out big man mm. can kind of play like the big man in the short roll sometimes, then I, I really like what that could give Steve Kerr as a look. And that also helps to simplify his role, which I think is something they've really highlighted at the moment. Um, really trying to simplify it unless they're playing against really poor teams or they're really weak in their rotation, in which case, yes, you can ask him to do a little bit more. Uh, but it goes without saying, it's easy to see now why Golden State was so keen to hold on to him and not trade him in a package in the offseason or even earlier this year. 100%. And I think that potentially is sort of going to be a, a little bit of a potentially it is a stumbling block maybe to get one of these larger deals done for a larger player, um, both in stature and in status, but um, they can't, they can't get rid of him. You know, you, you talk about um, sort of how that trades roll around with Wiggins. The fact that they've got Jonathan Kaminga in there as well is just kind of bonkers. Um, it's, Really, really good. Um, what he's shown, um, you know, on both ends of the floor in his time, and yeah, they, they're gonna. I've been saying it um, quite pr- profusely like the last few weeks, but they need to find minutes for him, particularly in the postseason, just because he's got a couple of things that they just don't have on the team. Um, in adding, you know, a bit of um, scoring pressure at the rim, that as you said, they just don't have um, that that kind of athlete, and haven't really had since you know KD and um, early days of Harrison Barnes. So. Um, no, impressive stuff from the the Warriors. Uh, you know, in, in the last little bit, um, we'll see we'll see what happens next. But you know, talking about swings and roundabouts and how things have gone, uh, we haven't we don't haven't haven't talked about them this early in the podcast for a while, Luke. But I think um, we need to start. We need to give some flowers across uh, to the other side of Staples Center um, to the LA Clippers. That game against the Washington Wizards. Got up 116, 158 after being down by 35 points. What the hell happened? So there's a there's another layer to the story of this game um, that I don't think I've, I've shared with Nick yet. And I obviously haven't shared with the listeners. And that was, I think, earlier in the day in my typical fashion, I'd, I'd popped onto a sports betting app to put on a bit of a multi. Um, Uh-oh. Put my Celtics in there, as you, as you do. Put the, put the Nuggets in there to take care of the Pistons, which happened, and then I flicked over to the score about halfway through this game and I thought, oh, the Clippers have ruined it for me. Not happening. Given up on the money. I could not believe oh, no. when I refresh the scores and I'm like, this is going to be a typo. Look a little bit closer. Nope, they're in the game. So let's talk about that. We don't care about Washington who are just collapsing to a certain extent for a team that has a lot of competent NBA players. Do you want to talk about Amir Coffey or do we uh, jump straight off with Luke Kennard and that that end of the game? Well, the fact that these guys are in the game obviously was due to the fact that the starters were just not getting it done um, at the start, you know, and no Reggie Jackson, no Nick Batum and no minutes for our boy Zoobs in the second half at all. But Tyler's just gone, bugger it, you guys are playing that terrible. I'm letting you sit and I'm going to try to get something out of this game with our energy guys, our younger guys off the bench. And, you know, Justice Winslow, Isaiah Hardenstein, uh, Terrence Mann, um, and then our boys, the cough drop, 
with 29 points. And your man, Luke Kennard, just brought the house down on the way back. It looked like they were going to run out of gas in the, at the start of the fourth. But then sort of breaking down, I guess, how this last quarter finishes. So basically, the Wizards are up by eight points with 36.8 seconds left. They are up by eight points with 36.8 seconds left. Coffee gets a dunk. Kuz splits a couple of free throws. Then Kennard hits an absolute bomb from the logo. It's 115-112 Washington with nine seconds left. Then you think, all right, cool. Three-point lead, nine seconds left. Clippers have made this interesting. But Washington are going to get it done. But can't get the ball in, so five-second violation after not being able to inbound. And then Kennard hits one of the craziest shots I think I might have seen. Like, I don't know, do you call it a fadeaway? Do you call that like a side falling away? Like, look like it was about to face plant. It's Hits whatever the three. sideways version of a fadeaway is. If that's yeah. a fadeaway, then I guess that's what it is. But I'm gonna, I might, might do a, a little shout out to Oasis and just call that the slide away three. Um, and hits the three, draws the foul from Bradley Beal, four-point play coming, hits it, and they win. It just, as much as people will talk about the utter collapse Washington had, and I think that they deserve all the pile on you get because you can't drop a 34-point game. It just doesn't happen. This is, a, this is a Clippers team that aren't, you know, strangers to the comeback. They're the first team in 25 years to raise 24 or more point deficits and win. Three times in a season, Lou. And they've done that three times in January. Just... Uh, Luke Kennard just going off. Our, our boy Mia Coffee just... It's honestly one of the wildest games of basketball I think I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, and I think what's good for the Clippers and what this represents is, look, teams that aren't united don't do this multiple times in a season, let alone once. Yeah. Uh, like... There are statistical anomalies that happen from time to time. You maybe don't have to be a great team to pull off one of these, but it's a good sign. And look, we know this kind of ragtag bunch at best would would win a play-in game and and get to the the first round and then get annihilated by whoever they come up against. But the, this has got to be somewhat heartening for PG, who's nursing an injury and I think trying to figure out what the best course of action is. Kawhi Leonard, who's working through recovery, and I think trying to figure out whether he should speed it up or just take it slow. Mm. Probably a lot of that's relating to what PG's doing. A lot of what PG's are doing is probably related to what the team's doing. So mm. these guys are certainly giving themselves the best chance of getting their two superstars back by the way they're playing. Uh, because at the end of the day, with a lot of the other teams in the, that lower part of the West dropping like flies at the moment, um, this little patch here has pushed them up, believe it or not, into the seventh seed. Um, yeah after the Minnesota loss to Golden State today. Uh, yeah, the, the Lakers are going to hang around in some capacity, as are the Timberwolves, but it, it's kind of a, you know, it, it's a three-team race for two spots for that double chance at the play, uh, in my opinion, because I think the, the Blazers and the Pels and that are all a little bit far back, unless Damian Lillard makes a spontaneous recovery. But the Clips have put themselves in such a nice spot here. Um, yeah. And if they can even stay within touch of the Nuggets, it, it might give those superstars a chance of coming back early enough to maybe try catch them and avoid a playing game. Uh, you know, they're, they're kind of at a point where anything's, you know, to, to quote KG, anything's possible. But, um, yeah, you've got to like what this team's doing. A lot of good vibes coming out of that locker room for mm. a franchise that has been lacking good vibes for a little while now. And that's the thing. It, 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 you got a lot of good energy around this. But then by that same time, the, the really tricky thing is now that, like, there's reports coming out that, 
it's always really tricky to gauge what the Clippers are doing um, in terms of personnel moves. They're not a team who you get word of things, you know, a couple of weeks down the track before it happens. You know, pretty much everything that they've ever done has happened in the dead of night um, and comes out of nowhere. You know, the Blake Griffin trade, uh, getting Paul George across to join Kawhi Leonard, all that happened so quickly. Um, it's really hard to gauge what the Clippers, I think, are going to do sort of at the deadline. I mean, we'll talk about it a little bit later um, when we're bringing back Tropical Trades to fi- to finish that off before the deadline. But, you know, the, there's reports now that are saying that Paul George, you know, could be set for some surgery on that torn UCL. So you're kind of wondering if, um, like you said, Lou, that's one side of it that, you know, that they're going to get G'd up seeing um, their co-stars and that sort of, you know, that, that this motley crew of players um, pull these games out of somewhere down below. But by the same token as well, is just like if Kawhi is looking at Paul George being set for surgery, then it's just like, well, am I really going to rush myself back to play with these guys minus Paul George and go really hard for the back end of the season? Or am I going to let things sit? And then just let these guys sort of maybe fight them, fight their way to, you know, a playing spot, a lower playoff seed. And it, 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 yeah, I think the question marks over what they'll do: Are they going to be sellers um, at the deadline? Um, are they going to try to, you know, make a, a quick fire move to bring someone in who's going to help? Um, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I, I mean, the positive thing for them is, from a, a trading perspective, perspective, I guess, trading out is that if guys like Amir Coffee look ready to contribute to a playoff run next year, mm. for example, um, you know, obviously this is really valuable time for, for Brandon Boston. We haven't seen a lot from Keon Johnson and what he's done yet, but we knew this would probably be a rough first year for him. Um, you know, if they can get two legitimate, you know, quality wings there in, in Boston and um, Coffee, then that frees them up to maybe get off some of that Marcus Morris money um, or redirect him to a team that wants him for a, a player that makes a little bit more sense for them. Um, you know, if if they think they like Hartenstein as a genuine backup big behind Zubach, then maybe they can walk away from a Barker or potentially re-sign a Barker and then move on from Zubs. You know, well, he's playing of- oversurge at the moment, so it's very much looking like it is that way, which I do love, by the way. Yeah, and that would then free up their, their mid-level money, which is currently sitting with a Barker, I believe. So, yeah. Either way, it's positive. And look, I don't know how long this kind of attitude and athleticism approach is going to keep racking up more wins and losses. But at the end of the day, if they can find a way to, to sit in that spot now or even bump up a couple, um, they're, they're only one, you know, Jokic goes out with COVID or an injury away from um, being very catchable for that, not having to play for a play. Yeah. So um, it's one to keep an eye on. And obviously that, that Paul George injury, you're right, it, because it has an effect of, Kawhi Leonard and what he does as well. Um, it's it's a bigger injury than just Paul George. But at, at the end of the day, I feel like Kawhi is probably going to keep his recovery on 100% timetable until until you confirm that Paul George is out because it's better to probably be prepared and then take it easy yep. um, than underprepare. And we know how, Kawhi, how seriously Kawhi takes these things as well. So um, I do want to move on to the Phoenix Suns, who mm-hmm. it's kind of gone unnoticed now. Um, <laughs> yep. Eighth win in a row. This team, record-wise, is so much better than anyone else in the NBA. Like, mm. they're nine losses. I mean, if, if in the East, you're talking the Heat, which still sounds weird to say they're top of the East, with 17 losses. 
um, and the Bulls with 17. The Cavs, that also still feels weird with 19. You go to the West, I mean, Golden State, 13, and then you've got the Grizzlies, 17, the Jazz, 19. So with 38 wins and nine losses, this team is just absurd. Um, obviously, we know Draymond's going to be out for a while, so we, we probably don't think the Warriors will be able to keep pace with the Suns. If anything, they might steadily drop back another game or two, even if they're winning more than they're losing. Um, it, it gets to a point where, you know, I think any narrative about last year being somewhat lucky has to be put to the sword when it's backed up with a regular season like this again. Um, obviously, just some points from the week. They beat the Jazz, which is uh, 115-109 at home. They beat them 105-97 to on the road, which really goes to prove, you know, who I think the better team in that matchup was. And I think we we're all pretty much there at this point that it was Phoenix. Yeah. Um, Booker went for 43. You know, it's just he's, he's continuing to look more and more like a big game player. Um, yeah. He's had a good sort of couple of weeks. I think now is really starting to percolate for sure. Yeah, and look, the Jazz have had players out. Um, you know, Mitchell, Gobert, Clarkson um, has been playing really well in their absence, but that's not going to affect what Devin Booker's going to be doing. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it, yeah, this this franchise couldn't be in a better spot. They're in that really fun situation now where they don't have to do anything at the deadline because they're ticking along so well. Uh, they don't have to be making desperate phone calls, but if someone calls them up with an offer, they can certainly certainly listen to it. So, um I have absolutely no faults with what Phoenix are doing at the moment. And the energy coming out of that franchise, much like the Clippers, is sounding really positive at the moment. Yeah, they're, they're just getting like different contributions from different guys on a nightly basis. You've got your stars playing well. Um, Paul uh, closed things really well um, in that game last night against Utah, um, you know, with, with 21 points again. Um, they're just... And they're getting contributions from other from other guys who've come in there. I really like, uh, you know, sort of we've spoken about a couple of times that you know Biombo's come in and provided a you know a real something um, off the bench and in, and also in the starting lineup when when Aiton's missed games. Um, so that'll be that'll be an interesting one. I think probably going into, into hope, hope hopefully DeAndre Aiton's you know there's nothing there's no more issues that will sort of. Um, you limit his impact to to play a healthy postseason because um, we saw how much of an impact that he had in Phoenix's last postseason on that push to a championship. Um, but it is handy knowing that you've got some insurance policies in place. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they do much at the deadline. I, I, but I'll like when you like you said, Lou, when you're third out and nine, then you're not really going to do too much, and you're pretty settled um, with you know the depth that you've got in a few different positions um, with the stars that you've got. Um, and the development you're continuing to see out of players. I mean, like Booker, obviously, you know, we talk about his scoring at length, but, you know, a career-high 12 rebounds is massive. Um, he's just starting to round out his game so much more um, in the last, you know, sort of six to eight months, um, you know, in that postseason effort, in um, going to the Olympics and delivering a gold medal for the U.S. So I, I think that he's really starting to push um, and, and, and peak, you know, starting to, really sort of deliver on that postseason last year and, and, and play some awesome basketball. How did you think sort of uh, in terms of the all-star starters, obviously we have a backcourt of Steph Curry and Ja Morant. No spots for the league leading uh, Phoenix Suns. How are you feeling about that? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, even if you want to talk about if this team was positionless, does does Booker get on? Does 
this ball get on, it's still tough to find a home for him. Um, I mean, obviously, with the way the NBA has played these days, I mean, depending on the matchup, Devin Booker could potentially play a bit of small forward in the right scenario, but that seems like a stretch. And at the end of the day, you can't just bend the positions just to, I don't know, I feel like had Booker gone on this run a month earlier. Yeah. Yeah, the narrative might have been different, but he's kind of in that spot where, unfortunately, most of the the fan votes and media votes have been cast now. Uh, although, if there's any doubt over, you know, his spot as a reserve, which I don't think there was, he's pretty much just booked that he'll be the put one of the first names on that team sheet sure. um, when the coaches name their side, and, and no doubt Chris Paul will be there as well because a he deserves to, and b all coaches appreciate what Chris Paul brings to the game. They're not so worried about. Box score, not aligns, I don't think. So I suspect they'll go in with two uh, once the the full squads are announced um, with someone like DeAndre Ayton potentially being an injury replacement if there was a, enough injuries down the line. Although I do think that Carl Anthony Towns not making the starting lineup probably hurts uh, Ayton's chance of making the reserves just because I think they're not going to want to go too big heavy. Um, and obviously you've got a, country, but, but a bunch of other guys there that bigs that will get a look in. Um, in the Western Conference as well. So mm. it, it's tough. I mean, I feel kind of uncomfortable about not having a Phoenix Sun as an all-star starter, but when you go through it, I, just, I couldn't find the logical home. And it, strictly speaking, it feels like Jar and, and Steph have probably been more important to their team than Booker has to Phoenix, as weird as that sounds to say. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's a tricky one as well because while Booker's surging at the moment, Steph's been going the other way. Um, he started to pick things back up the last couple of games, but obviously he's had a historically bad shooting slump for him that's extended much longer than I think anyone thought it might. Um, and I think that, like, like you said, that if Booker um, had maybe played, he started this score, I guess, a scoring surge he's had maybe a little bit earlier, then th- things might be a little bit different, particularly correlating with um, Steph's downward uh, trending form. But... I don't know. I think everyone's a little bit prisoners, uh, prisoners at the moment to a degree. Um, you know, everyone's looking at how bad Steph's played now rather than how well he, he started the season. Um, so it, it is hard. Uh, it is a hard one to gauge. And Booker is certainly super unlucky. Um, but yeah, you, you're right that him and CP3 will be, you know, very, very um, quickly named to that reserves list. And there'll be a couple of Phoenix Suns in the All-Star squad um, as well. Um, only one, and uh, continuing with our All-Star theme, um, it's pretty just pretty regular fixture now to see this guy in the starting uh, All-Star squad um, with LeBron James uh, getting named to yet another uh, front court rotation um, for the Western Conference All-Stars. The Lakers... They've had a no, they've had some good news. Um, obviously, welcoming back Anthony Davis, um, and he's got had a couple of games back now under his belt. But they, they go down uh, with a trip to Philadelphia. LeBron didn't play in this one; the sore knee, so it was just uh, AD versus Embiid, which was good to watch. Um, Davis finished with 31, 12 boards, and four blocks in his second games game back, but only had eight points in the second half as Philly really started to blow things out from the third quarter onwards, um, but they did get a 106-96 to 96 win over the Nets in AD's return, um, who had eight points, four blocks, and two rebounds and assists in 24 minutes. Lou, what have you made of uh, the return of Anthony Davis so far? I think the two games he's returned in are a classic snapshot of what Anthony Davis is, which is when he's the number two, he is just 
awesome. Like roaming around defensively, being the role man in the pick and roll, been able to do a bit of self-created offense. I, I, even though he wasn't, you know, even though he didn't do a lot from a scoring perspective um, against the Nets, what he did defensively, what he allowed them to do um, as far as, you know, protecting the rim, I just thought that was awesome. Um, really threw one to the Nets, um, which I don't think they were kind of necessarily, I think they, it's easy to forget how good AD is defensively until you get him back out there and he's engaged. Yeah. And yet when he's, um, when he's the number one, as good as he was statistically today against Philly, with 31, 12, four blocks, um, he's just not a number one. And obviously it goes to show this kind of game really puts him to perspective when you look at him versus Embiid, who has a bigger impact on the game, uh, yeah. when they're the you know when when they're the star player, it just really goes to put Embiid in another category, and that says a lot about Embiid as much as it does about Davis. But perfect reminder that this guy's a really good number two, um, and what does LeBron need at the moment? A really good number two. So good signs for the Lakers that he's back. Um, do you have any more positive LeBron or AD buzz before we discuss the the benching of Russell Westbrook down the stretch against the Pacers? Yeah, um, no, I think that you're right. I think as much as, I mean, the offensive side for Anthony Davis can can annoy things a little bit, um, you know, when he's settling a lot more for long-range jumpers and thinking that he's still um, in the Magic Kingdom uh, with nobody um, courtside to watch him. I think that, yeah, defensively, he's looked great. Um, And the fact that he played, I think, what, 34 minutes, um, and play a lot of time against Joel Embiid is a really good sign for his health. I think that's big tick, um, the one I'd be looking at um, so far. His impact on the defensive end also highlights how poor defensively the Lakers are without him. I think we've known that, but I think the stark contrast you see with his ability, as you said, Lou, to just be um, whizzing around, blocking shots and and overall just making life tough for the opposition. Um, it really is a stark contrast and it, puts a lot of pressure on AD and we're hoping that doesn't lead to any further complications with his body going into the postseason because the Lakers can't really do much without him and LeBron firing Um, at the same time. um, You know, LeBron was putting up historically consistent scoring efforts. Um, They've had 33 points, seven boards and six assists in that win over the Nets. Um, They've had some solid contributions from Carmelo Anthony coming back and they've needed some of them. Um, Malik Monk has continued to um, play pretty well. He's had some some inconsistent um, efforts, but, you know, 22 points against Brooklyn um, in that win as well. I think he's been really good. But um, we're just seeing how um, successful this LeBron and AD duo is going to be. Um, You know, it was the key to that championship um, run, and it is going to be key if they want to have another postseason push. But, um, Lou, you do touch on the third member of this big three, this uh, this Hollywood trio that they've um, that Rob Palink has put together um, at Staples Center. Um, Frank Vogel made some pretty strong comments. Uh, well, not strong, but I, I would say very blunt comments um, about Russell Westbrook. Um, with uh, not giving him too much time in the fourth quarter. How do you unpack Vogel's comments? What, how do you think Russ has sort of been going of late and how does this shape the Lakers going forward? I think, look, I mean, Russ has been uh, crying out to a certain extent about the fact that this is now his fourth team in four seasons. I understand that, how you need time to adjust. In theory, I understand that. Uh, I, I just, he's just not, 
this just seems like a guy that's now trying to buy himself time. Um, you mentioned Frank Vogel's comments about that. So obviously the perspective is that they like the like the Warriors lost to a Pacers team that no good team should lose to. Um, of course, the Warriors were able to shake it off a little bit more because they're not in dire straits the way the Lakers are. Um, he pulled Russell Westbrook out of that game in the final four minutes. And when asked in the post-game press conference why, he was as blunt as saying, I was playing the guys that I thought were going to win the game in answering a question from Dave McMenamin. And it just, you know what? He was probably right, but it's so hard when you've got to be right like that about the uh, super max contract player that mm. your team traded all of your fringe guys for and walked away from guys like Alex Caruso because you had to pay Russell Westbrook to bring in, well, you didn't have to walk away from Alex Caruso, that's another thing, but um, <laughs> the to, to bring in Russell Westbrook. And it, his box score numbers are looking okay. Um, he, he had a pretty good game against the Heat, you know, probably better than what you'd expect considering what happened with the Pacers, but it, it just, it's just not right. And I don't think the fact that AD is returning, unfortunately, is going to help Russ at all. Uh, AD returning in my mind is going to help you guys like Malik Monk who need AD's defense behind him and uh, would like people that can put pressure on the rim so that it makes their threes warm up more wide open. It might help guys like Carmelo Anthony who doesn't have to play the five on defense anymore. Don't get me started on that. That's one of the reasons <laughs> I lost that Pacers game. But yeah, look, it's concerning. Um, uh, we've touched a thousand times on it before. They might move him. The, the deals are getting smaller and smaller. Sounds like it's pretty much at this point some weird iteration with John Wall or nothing. Um, yeah. Look, I, I, I've been off on Westbrook for quite some time, but it, it's almost at the point now where people do need to recognise that this really is not the team for him. I mean, the list of teams is pretty small that he would work with now due to his limitations. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's concerning and it probably highlights the fact that unless something changes, I don't think they're a championship contender and I'm sure most of the NBA fans agree. Yeah, you, you're seeing, you know, like when they're running around with, you know, a LeBron, a Stanley Johnson, uh, Austin Reeves, I think, has been terrific um, of late um, and also providing some terrific meme content um, with his discussion with LeBron, uh, which is very, very good. Um, <laughs> but all these fringe guys who are playing with higher energy, uh, better defensive consistency and IQ, uh, communicating better, you know, throwing away the ball as much. It's, you know, kind of similar to the, you know, that, that Clippers game, you know, when they had to pull out the starters and put put a bit of energy in there. They're getting some of that out of that, you know, smaller ball lineup that they've had to sort of go with in, in, in AD's absence. But I still think that, the, that those fringe guys who have, you know, come to the floor a little bit without Davis there have got, a larger role to play alongside LeBron and AD than, than Russ does. Um, you know, they're more minimal kind of role players that very similar to how that Lakers championship team was constructed. You've got guys like a Caruso, like a KCP who don't need to do things as much on ball and can fit in around the two stars a lot better than Westbrook can which is kind of why that was like sort of the argument whether they're going to go for a star or simply hold on to their supporting cast or strengthen it. And the fact that they've gone with, you know, the Tinseltown signing is showing that, you know, that the, the recipe that they had all along was pretty okay. 
um, and they didn't need to to get um, such a, a high usage and polarizing player um, in Russell Westbrook. So um, you're right, Lou. Um, the market, I think, is shrinking by the day um, for Russ, which is a real shame. Um, but I'm, it, it does bulk on the mind and leave a lot of questions about what the Lakers are going to do um, at the deadline. Um, but equally as mind-boggling and equally as head-scratching are the Sacramento Kings. Uh yeah, how many times? I reckon every time we're just sort of like, all right, we're talking about the Kings, and we don't get us wrong. We really like Sacramento. We're just not like the type of guys who want to keep dumping on Sacramento. We're frustrated because we keep having to, and that a season that gets nice bits of promise thrown in there, you get some, some nice signs of optimism, and you're thinking, oh, could this be the year, Lou? Could this be the year for Sacramento? It's not. They've lost five in a row. Um, they were up by, I think, almost 15 against Atlanta, and then ended up losing that game by 17 after the Hawks dropped a 46 to 17 second quarter, and just the bottom fell out of that one. But then... Against your Celtics, which would have been, I think, an interesting game to watch, maybe a hard game to watch. I'm always a bit weird about a blowout. They lost to Boston by 53 points. At one stage, they were down by 60. They were down 13 to 38 at the end of the first, and that's the end of that game. For a team that has had some bad losses and some bad times over the last decade, I reckon this one's pretty up there for Kings fans. Look, yeah, I did watch that game. Um, and like I mean, the the that won't be touched on at all. But the, the the Celtics are a mediocre, not good, not bad team this year. That's fine. They've got good players that have some good nights. Watching that game objectively from the outside, looking in now, look up. Fox wasn't playing. Worth mentioning. Um, Halliburton, who I love, but is just such an awesome connective piece. And if you put four guys around him that aren't great players. He's very quick to look average, which I don't blame him for. He's not like the generational talent that you drop everything and build around. I think everyone knows that. It felt like there was zero elite players playing on the King side of that basketball game. Hmm. Um, And that's not true. There are guys that were out there that have been capable NBA players, but it just didn't feel like it. you know, Tyrese Halliburton came out after the game and was like, I know the narrative about this franchise, but I'm, you know, I promise I'm going to be here when this turns around. And like, he, he's such a good character guy and it's such a shame. I don't think De'Aaron Fox necessarily has that same character. I, I think that he's quick to point the finger at others a lot of the time. Uh, but uh, this team is just, this is possibly the most disappointing week out of all of them. Not because of the losing five in a row. We've been doing this podcast for two seasons now and that's a pretty frequent occurrence. It's, it's how they lost. It's the nature of the losses. Yeah. Um, but hey, if there's, I've got a sick feeling they won't. But if this somehow spurs them to trade their veterans mm. and hit, do a mini reset, and that's what it needed to take, um, then um, then so be it. But my, my my thoughts on this are perfectly summarised by what Coach Alvin Gentry said earlier in the year in a press conference. Which, uh, as far as Sacramento Kings are concerned, you know, if you need me, I'll be at home drinking. Um, <laughs> There's not much hope there. Um, and uh, I think it's time to think about trading the veterans, finding a good new young coach for next year, uh, figuring out who your one or two guys that you absolutely want to hold on to are, and, and that's really the end of it. 
Do you have any other wrapping thoughts on the Kings before we take a quick break? Yeah, I think that the trade stuff is right because I, I, I always worry about teams who are okay with just cruising into the playoffs or fighting for a playing spot. I know that sounds bad, particularly for a franchise that has gone so long without a playoff appearance, but they can't be satisfied with getting some contributions from some younger guys and then getting Harrison Barnes and Buddy Heald to get them into a play-in spot. That's not enough for this franchise because that's all they'll do. And then, you know, you're relying on Barnes. You know, he gave you 28 um, against Atlanta and nine boards. Had a great game. Um, I thought he was all right. But at the same time, you're, you're dropping that game and you're getting cooked off the bench by guys like Okonwu and Williams and... Um, and Gallo and and uh, and, Bo, and Bogdanovich coming back to Horny's old side. It's just they need to make, uh, do things drastically. There's not little moves where they're going to – that made some good moves, bringing in some, okay, some ha- high-character guys. You mentioned Tyrese Halliburton, um, Davion Mitchell coming in in the draft, although the fit hasn't been ideal. He's a character guy that I think the Kings need. It's not enough. They need to go hard. They need to really hit the big reset button on things. Get Rashawn Holmes, Marvin Bagley, and Harrison Barnes and Buddy Hill to franchises that can actually help out and win some damn games of basketball and then just rebuild properly. Don't half-ass it. Do it properly. So, Perfect anyway. summary. Uh, we'll leave it there, folks. We'll come back for a break uh, with uh, the brighter side of the Pacific Division, and that's the Tropical Trades. Pacific Post-Ups is closely affiliated with OTG Basketball. They've got a fantastic podcast and YouTube network where you can keep up to date with all things NBA. Make sure you follow them on Twitter and YouTube at OTG Basketball. Back to the show. And welcome back to Tropical Trades. Now, we just finished discussing all the problems in Sacramento. Nick, we're now going to attempt to begin to fix some of them. Um, I'm going to kick off uh, my Kings trade package with a, a three-teamer, a good old-fashioned good old, good old fashioned trade machine three-teamer. And I know these very rarely come off, but pretty much every one of these players I think I've thrown in this deal has been discussed in trade rumors recently. So mm. I have the Hawks receiving Buddy Hield, Tristan Thompson. That's just purely for salary purposes. Um, Harrison Barnes and a 2025 top eight protected pick from the Sacramento Kings. I have the Pacers receiving Rashawn Holmes and a 2023 top uh, five protected pick from the Sacramento Kings. And I have Miles Turner, John Collins and Danilo Gallinari heading to Sacramento. Um, now, given there's so much to unpack, I'll, I'll give my quick justification first, I think. Let you dissect. So the Hawks obviously have been looking to get off Danilo Gallinari's salary. Um, there's a bit of a logjam there. There's also been rumours that they're willing to move off of John Collins. They're not sure about the long-term fit. Uh, and Miles Turner's obviously been a, a pretty big trade name that's thrown around. Um, from the Kings' perspective, I'm not going to focus too much on the other sides because you can put together their various interests. Uh, based on what they need. But Miles Turner gives a, mm. a guy that could set screens for De'Aaron Fox and Pop, uh, which I think is a part of De'Aaron Fox's game that we haven't discussed enough, is that he's pretty much always played with downhill rollers his whole career. 
Yep. Um, he actually, yeah, you know, they, they actually tried to do the right thing a few years ago when they signed Dwayne Dedman, but he just had nothing on the Kings. Um, and I think that he would also shore up their defense in a way that, you know, Holmes has been able to at times, but not consistently. Um, John Collins is obviously a, probably comes into this team as almost one of their best players, mm. uh, depending on what you need. He's a guy that can play alongside Miles Turner. They actually both complement each other. They can take turns setting the screens. Um, and Danilo Gallinari, salary purposes and, and perhaps a bit of veteran leadership. So, yes, they lose some picks here, but if they're trying to speed up their timeline, I, I think John Collins and Miles Turner make them a, a pretty competitive team next year as is. Um, so they shouldn't have to cry too much over those picks. Yeah, it's quite a front court change, um, you know, going with a couple of younger guys um, in in Turner and Collins. Um, I do like the pick and pop ability that Miles provides. Um with Fox and sort of help space the floor. Um, you know, if particularly if you're losing Buddy Heald and, and Harrison Barnes as well. Collins is, a, I think, like a, a, a competent three-point shooter. I don't think he's going to, you know, shoot the lights out anytime soon. But giving him a bit a bigger offensive role um, is something that you know, he, he, he's pretty after. Um, and he's, he's not super crash hot uh, about um, for the Hawks. So that, that's a good one. And you're getting Gallo just for salary purposes, but also just giving them something off the bench um, to help out a touch. Um, I think it's not a bad move at all. So it, it certainly adds a, a different wrinkle to the, you know, the starting lineup for Sacramento, um, you know, keeping the guards um, that they, they want to go with. The, the Fox isn't on the move and they're sort of centering around him and Halliburton sort of going forward. Um, you know, if you can get a reasonably cheap sort of three and D wing to, to plug the gap in between uh, those four, then I reckon you're looking at a much more competitive uh, starting lineup for Sacramento um, that would easily get you pushing towards a play in. Um, if not, maybe a playoff appearance, who knows? But I like it, Luke. I like it. Wonderful. What have uh, what have you cooked up in the lab to just turn things around in Sacramento? All right, we're we're, we're calling them up. It's happening. Um, it's it's the, that's the trade that everybody's been wanting. We're dealing with Philadelphia, with the centerpiece of this trade being Danny Green, and also a second round pick, a top eight protected pick uh, from 2025, like your own. And a little guy called Ben Simmons. And then Philly are going to be uh, getting Buddy Hield, Darren Fox, and sorry, that first round pick that I mentioned uh, going to the 76ers. Um, so Hield, Fox, a couple of picks. And then a second round pick going back with Danny Green and Ben Simmons. It's Ben Simmons' time in Sacramento. Everyone's been talking about it. As much as he'd love to be in California and play for one of the LA sides in Golden State, ain't happening. Hill Parks, California. Ben Simmons is through Sacramento. And, I mean, we, we've spoken about at length, Lou, how much that what Simmons could provide to Fox, um, to Halliburton as well. Um, him and Mitchell wreaking havoc defensively um, is a sight for sore eyes. Um, I think it's a fresh start. I think it gets him off Broadway a little bit to rehab his career, his image, and, and just everything um, for Ben Simmons. And, yeah, I think it's a good opportunity um, for him. They get Danny Green as well for some veteran leadership, which is, you know, something that I think would be pretty handy um, in Sacramento. And also plugs a bit of a gap to, to play some minutes maybe um, at the three. Um, not not playing as much as he gets into his um, his older years. But, 
And then going back the other way, Philly getting that shooter that um, alongside Embiid would absolutely thrive and also getting a, a slashing point guard who I think would fit quite nicely with Joel Embiid and really um, work quite well in the pick and roll there. So, uh, yeah, it, it is, you know, the trade that's been rumoured, but I think it's been rumoured for a reason because I think it does make sense for both sides. Yeah, look, I mean, I've gone back and forth on this pretty much since this rumour popped up about whether I like it for both sides. You know, there's been points where I haven't liked it for Sacramento. There'd be points I have, and same with Philly. Yep. As in this Fox-Simmons iteration and then whatever the extra pieces are, you know, we're talking about second-round pick or Danny Green. I mean, just Buddy Hill was talked about as a bit more of an asset at the start of the year, but I think there's a general consensus there may just be a certain amount of regression there. But genuinely would not shock me if you put him on a good, competent team and he looks yeah. like the peak form of himself as well. Don't People, are, you know, often forget about that. Uh, yeah, we were talking about it with Andrew Wiggins, you know, um, how much a change of scenery can can help things. So at this point, I think if providing the 76ers are happy to do it, there's been so much confusing reporting and so much posturing from Murray that it's so hard to tell. But if, if this kind of deal is on the table, I think both, I think Sacramento should push the button. Just it's not working now. May as well try something else. Yeah, I think I think the big one will be just, yeah, if Maury is, is going to bite. Um, you know, he's talked about wanting multiple first-round picks and Tyrese Halliburton as well. They're not going to trade Halliburton. I'd be very surprised if they traded Tyrese Halliburton and kept Aaron Fox. If they're trading one of the guards, it, it should be Fox. Um, but who knows? We'll, 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 see, we'll see what happens there. But moving on, Lou, from the Sacramento Kings. Uh, who are we going with? We're going with the Clips. The Clippers, yes. Um, so... Uh... This one's a little harder because, so as we kind of touched before, it's hard to figure out where the Clippers are at. As far as are they trying to buy, are they trying to sell, mm. what are they trying to do? But I think what uh, they can afford to do is potentially get off the money of Marcus Morris. Yeah. Um, and that he would be usable to another team. He's got size. You can play him at five and small ball lineups, as Utah very well know. Um, he's a really good shooter. He's actually become a really good shooter the last couple of years. People don't really talk about that enough. And obviously, he gives a bit of toughness as well. Um, so I have him going to Chicago um, for Derek Jones Jr. and Troy Brown Jr. Um, it gives the Clippers a crack at two young, or well, young in the case of Troy Brown and youngish in the case of Derek Jones, wings for the rest of the year, decide if they'd like to keep one around. I think Troy Brown's been an underrated player in his last mm. couple of stops. He just hasn't gotten as many minutes as I would like. It gives the Bulls that guy that can defend big wings um, gives them a small ball optionality that they've been yearning for since the injury of, of Patrick Williams. And it yep. means that they don't have to give up Patrick Williams for someone like a, a Jeremy Grant. Yep, I like it. Um, I think the selling option is something that the Clips should be looking at. And yeah, getting a, you know, a couple of flyers on some guys who I can good pad out the rotation quite nicely when PG's back, when Kawhi's back. Um, it really starts turning into a pretty awesome second unit, honestly, and just sort of, uh, you know, secondary uh, glut of players um, for the Clippers, which is really handy. And I think he's the right guy to move off. Um, so much so that he is the fixture of my own Clippers trade. Um, so I'm sending Marcus Morris to the Utah Jazz uh, in exchange for... Yudoka Azabuki, a couple of second-round picks, and Joe Ingles. Um, that's kind of what I'm looking at at the moment. Uh, very much how Chicago are looking for some size um, in the front court, some scoring ability as well, and some you know the ability and toughness to defend. I think that he's going to give some similar things to the Jazz, um, which I think they're supremely lacking 
the defense for Utah is something that that's been incredibly noticeable when Gobert's been missing. That although Morris doesn't give them the perimeter defender um, that they potentially need, um, I still think that you know the the little cheeky pickup of Daniel House has been really good for them. I think he'll play some decent minutes um, in the postseason, and it looks more at getting someone who can play a little bit more for for them uh, alongside Gobert can help stretch the floor a bit, open the space up for Donovan Mitchell. Um, you know, a stretch four on the Jazz is something that I think I'd constantly like ask for every single year. And although Royce O'Neal does provide a little bit of that, it also gives you some flexibility to slide him up to the three where he's not having to defend over over defend a little bit against guys who are maybe the, the weight class up. Um, it just gives them some more flexibility, both in a scoring and defensive sense um, for Quinn Snyder. And for the Clippers side of things, you're getting a couple of second round picks to, to use down the track. Um, as much as you know, we sort of talk about the you know some Im- Im- impressive uh, younger players and some guys um, in the second unit for the Clippers. Outside of Isaiah Hartenstein, there's not the, the cupboard of, of bigs is not uh, too full. And I think Yudoka Azubuki um, is a bit of a young flyer that they can take in a big shot blocking guy um, who could get some minutes, particularly with Serge Ibaka looking like uh, very much on the way out of things and the way out of the plans um, for Tyrone Lou. And then I think it's very poetic that Joe Ingles finally gets to play for the Clippers um, after being so, so close, being cut like as close as you can get really um, to playing. And I quite often think about, and even Joe sort of spoken about this um, on uh, old man in the three um, with JJ Redick about, you know, how he would have gone playing on in that Lob City days is a really sort of fantastic complimentary secondary ball handle alongside Chris Ball, someone who could really shoot as well. You know, someone potentially you might look at bringing back as it is an expiring deal. Um, it's someone you might be looking at bringing back um, on lesser money going forward. Um, as someone who could, you know, offer some veteran leadership, but also play alongside Kawhi uh, and, and Paul George in some different units. So, yeah, that's the trade I'm looking at. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, you know, uh, it, it's probably an overcorrection from the the offseason Rudy Gay move, which is yet to bear too much fruit as far as playing him as a small ball five. Um, so I like that move. Um, and from the Clippers side of things, you know, I think you make a ton of good points. I haven't watched a lot of Azubuike. I'll be honest; you'd probably have a better idea how what likelihood he has of becoming a legitimate NBA player. Um, but we've made a point here with both these trades that the Clippers taking a few flies is definitely worth it in the long run for them. They need to rebuild their young talent pipeline at some point. Yep. Um, so the final team is the Golden State Warriors, which is obviously uh, always fun to run Warriors trades by you, Nick. So I'm going to fill a hole that the Golden State Warriors uh, claim they don't want to fill. Um, I have Jakob Pertl and Lonnie Walker going to Golden State mm. in exchange for James Wiseman. Um First glance is that this is a little light on as a package for a guy that was the number two overall pick. But at the end mm. of the day, that's no longer James yep. Wiseman's current value. And it's something not right there with his health at the moment. That's pretty clear. I think based on how little he's been able to play, I don't think he'll be offering much in the playoffs just because he hasn't had any time to really get used to playing with this team. Although, you know, yeah. I'm happy to be proven wrong. Um, Jakob Pertl was super underrated as a defender. He yep. doesn't get talked about because he's in San Antonio a lot, but one of the best rim protectors in the league. His biggest glaring weakness is he's not a great free throw shooter, but you don't play him at the end of games anyway because you have Draymond Green playing the five. Um, 
Bonnie Walker is just a guy that the Warriors can take a look at, take for a bit of a test drive. If they like him and the Jordan Poole market gets a bit expensive in the off-season, perhaps they could re-sign him. And if not, you move on or, you know, potentially you throw him in some sort of sign-and-trade with someone. So hmm. that's the Warriors gearing up for a big post-season run in 2022 in my mind. Yeah, I don't mind it. I mean, Pertle's someone who I always think has been supremely underrated. He's... Um... He's a guy I think who's thrived in San Antonio's system. I liked him on Toronto. Um, and then when he came across the Spurs, I think, yeah, supremely underrated. I think he fits like a glove into what Golden State likes to do with their bigs. Um, very much a low frills kind of guy, defends at a high level, can play in the system really nicely. Um, and then Lonnie Walker's, yeah, the bit of a, a younger guard. You can take a little bit of a flyer on, uh, can score. Um, would like to see that, you know, Potentially his three-point shooting numbers go back up a little bit. He hasn't shot the ball as well this season, uh, just a tick under 30% as he's upped his attempts over the last couple of seasons. But last year, you know, 11 points, shot 35% from from deep on 4.7 attempts per game. 42% from the field's not ter- too bad. Um, he's an interesting one. He's had some good games. He can have some games where he can really get going as well. So having him off the bench... Um, might not be a, a, a terrible idea, but the idea of getting Pirtle in there is, is one I really love. So, yeah, this is a good trade, Luke. Yeah, look, the Warriors really went begging. I think the Spurs could throw in a, a second-round pick and it, it wouldn't be uh, a couple of seconds maybe just to keep that Wiseman value appropriate, mm. but uh, only time will tell. Um, what about you? What have you cooked up in the lab for Golden State? Yeah, also going for a big, but going for someone a slightly more uh, high profile. There's a guy who's, I think, being talked about to the Warriors for what feels like almost years at, at this stage. Um, but I'm uh, having a chat to the powers that be in Indiana, and I'm sending across Nemanja Bielitsa, uh, James, Wimes, ugh, James Wiseman, and Moses Moody, um, and in exchange for Miles Turner. Um now, I didn't really touch too much on the Wiseman stuff because I was um, in, in your trade because I knew it was coming up in mine. But it's – you're right. It, it is really hard to the, – the timeline for the Warriors is just is just pretty finite. You've only got so many years you can have a crack at getting um, another chip. And although that's why I'm really harping on Golden State keeping Jonathan Kaminga to be that guy for the next sort of phase of things, so I really think he can be. I'm not as sure about Wiseman. And while he's still got some currency, I, you need someone in there who's going to really help impact things. And I do worry about the glut of talented bigs in the Western Conference that could give the Warriors problems um, over a seven-game series um, in the postseason. And I think, um, you know, as much as I've liked Beelitz for at stages through this season, um, needing to get some shot blocking and defensive ability is a must, um, which is why you're bringing in Miles Turner. Um, and probably the other one that's a bit hard, a bit, a bit of a bit, bit of pill to swallow, particularly considering how well he's been going in the G League, is Moses Moody, because I do think he's going to be a real player. Um, but... Um, you know, you gotta you gotta give up something to get something. And and Miles Turner coming into the Warriors lineup takes some pressure off Kavon Looney. Um having those two as a bit of a defensive uh tandem, I think is superb. Um it helps take some pressure off Draymond as well. Um it might be games where you don't see Miles Turner close, you know, and that's all right. Um but you know, this is a guy who's been a perennial uh, you know, 
high high caliber defensive player, someone who can stretch the floor as well, someone who plugs into things. I think get a little bit um, better um, than you know some of the bigs um, on offer uh, on the market. He's someone who's disgruntled with his role. The only thing is that I'm not sure if he, he's going to be su- super gassed about going into a Warriors team where. Um, you know, he isn't going to be a featured player every night. There might be some times when he is, but at least he doesn't have to, I don't know, I guess share the front court with, you know, someone of DeMontis Sabonis' ilk. So um, I think that getting Miles Turner into uh, the Warriors starting lineup really, if they're not championship favourites uh, alongside Phoenix, alongside the Phoenix Suns, then that'd go to, to pretty red-hot favourites outright, I think. Yeah, look, I love this trade with a caveat that if I'm Golden State, I'm wanting some sort of access to what that medical situation is with Miles Turner at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've heard similar trades floated around to Miles Turner and various teams. It always comes back to Indiana probably aren't going to share those medicals unless you think you're at the one yard line on the trade, uh, which I don't blame them because once they share them, they can, they can end up anywhere. So yeah, uh, I think providing that trade's done in good faith and, and all the medicals are done above board and Miles Turner can play at least a little bit before the playoffs to give them a bit of time to assimilate. I love that deal. Um, and it's, it's like you said, it's one that's been talked about now for years and, and they've kind of got the assets now at the right time to make this move from Golden State's perspective. So, um, yeah, plausible. Um, be interesting to see if Golden State do pull the trigger on any sort of big man at, before the deadline. Um, moving over to the Avica Zubac Unsung Hero Award. Nick, uh, we're back on Golden State big men. Uh, why don't you hit us with who you've got? Yep. Um, this is uh, my first uh, two-time nominee for this season. I mean, we, we've done a pretty good job getting to this stage of the season without doing a two-time nominee, Lou, but I think it's time to give some more praise to this guy who is perennially, I think, one of the most underrated players in the NBA, and that is Kevon Looney. Um, although the Dubs haven't, you know, they've had a bit of a mixed time over the last couple of weeks. Um, in the last week, they've started to pick things back up, but keeping them in a lot of the games and also being a key contributor um, to quite a few wins has been the big loon. Um, you know, in his last t- 10 games, he's had been averaging 10.7 rebounds per game. Um, you look at game against Indiana, um, although, yes, you're going... You're not going against uh, Miles Turner and Demonis Sabonis. Uh, you still had to deal with some pretty handy bigs off the bench. Uh, Goga Badatse gave uh, the Warriors some problems at stages, but Loon finished with 15 boards in that one. 12 rebounds against Houston, uh, six against the Jazz, but nine boards again against Dallas, uh, and then six against the Minnesota Timberwolves. But not only that, um, it's been his scoring as well that's been really handy, particularly with Steph struggling and then you, you're getting nights where um, Wiggins hasn't had it as much of late. 13 points against Indiana, 8 against Houston, 10 points against the Jazz and 7 points against Minnesota. And that was um, in a game where he fouled out and only had to play four minutes. Um, but I think that Looney's defense has been terrific. His rebounding has been absolutely key, particularly on the offensive glass. And he's a really underrated scorer. He can get his points when he when he can off off these offensive rebounds, but also um, with some you know impressive finishes inside. Um, really can take a bit of contact and you know um, and finish strongly. And yeah, he's been key um, to the Warriors' energy, I think, of late, um, in, in real, a real uptick in that department. Um, and I think that, yeah, Kevon Looney is a, is a worthy uh, recipient of uh, my Zoobs Award this week. Yeah, absolutely. And he's someone that does epitomise what this award is about. 
uh, you know, we talk about them not wanting to trade for another big, and it's probably because this organization has so much corporate trust in Gavon now. Uh, yeah. And the role that he can do and his versatility and his team first attitude. So, um, no, great, great shout out and a guy that will continually miss out on the praise that he, he deserves. Uh, thus, the nature of being a, a you know, do it all big man on a, on a championship team where your individual numbers don't look that great. So, shout out to you, come on. Um, I've also gone with a member of the Golden State Warriors. No, keeping things in the bay. Yes. Um, that's Jordan Paul. Um, so, I think the narrative is now slowly turned on him from the start of the year. Well, it was yeah. great in preseason. The start of the year, it was almost a bit disappointing. There was a bit of a fear with him about how he would go when Clay Thompson came back. Mm. Um, but in my opinion, he's looked great. Uh, you know, he's the last four games, so I'm kind of rounding from, from Houston um, all the way up. So 20 points, 20 points, 17 points, 19 points, shooting above 40% from three in all of those games, but one. Uh, you know, he's getting a couple of assists, if not more. He had five assists today. Uh, obviously, chips in, um, you know, where he can on defense and, and on the boards as well. Uh, but he's been a bucket getter. Um, he's been a shot maker, particularly of late. Um, he hasn't sulked about Clay Thompson coming back. Uh, you know, he, he really, really nastily broke Jordan Clarkson's ankles in the game against the Jazz. And that's that was dirty. Um, and yeah, a lot of, lot of love for Jordan Paul at the moment. A guy who's fallen off the radar a little bit as far as the national media is concerned. Yeah, I think that all, with all the, n- the narrative about Clay coming back, he's always going to slide a little bit back down. Well, definitely in the rotation, but also um, just out of people's eye, eye line a bit. And I, I think that's the encouraging thing for Jordan has been that um, I think his shot profile's got a lot better. He's taking less threes. Oh. Um, he's taking them in rhythm and taking them when he needs to rather than looking for that shot all the time. Uh, yeah. He's getting a lot more on-ball reps. He's working a lot more in the pick and roll to, to show that playmaking and that ability to get to the rim, which I think is his best asset. And although he's a good shooter, um, a, a great shooter to a degree, I still think that his ability to take guys off the dribble and get to the rim is still his very much his strongest asset. And I think you're seeing um, a more refined role for him off the bench. And no, nah, he's thriving. So, nah, good shout, Luke. I think he's coming. He, the pool party's coming back. Uh, absolutely. And uh, the Golden State Warriors looking pretty well represented in the uh, Avica Zubac tally that we've got going here. Um, so, certainly looking forward to adding that one up uh, towards the end of the year. That's all we've got for today. Uh, monster pod, that one. Uh, and, uh, you know, you might have not made the all-star starters, Nick, but uh, that kind of effort might get you onto the reserves. So, to our listeners, we'll... Uh, we'll hear from you all next week. It's been a pleasure as always, Nick. See you then.